It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Even though I feel like in some regards I'm picking on the South uh, in this particular one, which is somewhat unfair because we could pick on any group of people uh, with this because we all have the same propensity. The reason this is apropos is because the Civil War is going to uh, really drive this to the surface, uh, and that is what we're calling the Southern Blind Spot. Uh, and, but there was a Northern Blind Spot and probably a mid-Atlantic blind spot, a European blind spot. Every single culture has blind spots, and that's part of what I want to drive to the surface today for us, because the reason I'm going through this series is that there's a parallel between what was taking place in antebellum America, the the time period right before the Civil War in 1861, and the time in which we live today. And so this entire series is called Spiritual Lessons from Abe Lincoln's America. And the, the parallels are I mean, shocking, truly. They're, they're remarkable. And yet the key is that we don't just stare at parallels and we don't just stare at similarities, but we respond before it's too late to alter the things that we are mimicking that are leading to the same end results. They, it, it led to 750,000 people dead, uh, soldiers dead because of a civil war, And the question is, could that have been avoided? And of course, I'm always going to start with the presumption that, yes, you can avoid things like that, but it takes a tremendous amount of input from the church of Jesus Christ. The problem in antebellum America is the church was participating in the division. It was just as much rife within the church as it was in the politics of the day. The church was integrating into the politics, and that's, of course, one of the things that I'm extra sensitive to now as I see a similar thing happening. So the Southern Blind Spot, part five in this series. Southern decency. So even to this day, the the South has certain... Uh, descriptors. In other words, like Southern hospitality. And boy, you really like to be taken care of by people in the South. And there's, you know, we call it the Bible Belt. Uh, There's certain things that are historic in even the Southern part of this country that are really good, uh, that you would say that is a wonderful attribute. That is a really wonderful thing. That is a good thing. Well, back in the Civil War era, same thing. In other words, a lot of the same things were there However, there was some blind spots because where there are virtues, you have a tendency to cloak weaknesses. Now, the North was doing it too, okay? So I don't want to excuse the North in this. They were moralizing and they were anti-slavery and abolitionists. And as a result, they had a tendency to not see their legalism. And so there were certain things in the Puritan mindset that could easily be cloaked as well, where you begin to feel like you are saved because of your moral vantage point on slavery. And it's like, well, of course I'm going to go to heaven because look at my vantage point on slavery or anti-slavery. And you're not saved by being pro-slavery or anti-slavery. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's his work on the cross that saves. It's not our morality. And yet those types of things can become blind spots and mislead a culture. And it's very, very easy to have happen. And the South had its blind spots. 
So one of those blind spots was based on its decency. And so that's why I'm calling it Southern Decency. So the word that I've already used in the series, but I'm going to draw it out a little more today, is cavalier. So this is a word that many of us have heard, but maybe haven't thought about very much because it's not a commonly used term today. But back in the day, and this is the freedictionary.com, I know sort of a cheapo uh, man's rendition of getting the dictionary uh, definition, but a gallant or chivalrous man, a gentleman. And so cavalier has a wonderful description right there. I mean, so if I were to say you're a cavalier, boy, that would be a compliment, right? Because a gallant or chivalrous man, a gentleman, you know, that's just the kind of, kind, of, kind of guy that opens a door for a lady, pulls out the chair and sets it behind her, that when the, the ladies walk into the room, they stand up, the men stand up, you know, you do it right, right? You have that chivalry and there's a certain uh, honor to it and it's really beautiful, right? And many of us are attracted to that. I know I am. I mean, that, that's like uh, classic Eric Ludi type of stuff. I really enjoy when a man is a man and a woman is a woman and there's something lovely about that, Right. And so that's one definition of cavalier, but look at the other definition. It's fascinating that these two definitions, that someone who is behaving that way could also have this be a description of them, showing arrogant or offhand disregard, dismissive. And here's an illustration, i.e., or for example, a cavalier attitude toward the suffering of others. Now here's what's interesting. A cavalier, back in the days of the antebellum era, might have been one of the nicest men you would ever meet. And a true gentleman. I mean, he would take off his coat and lay it over the mud puddle and the, and the woman, women could walk across and his own coat could be trampled in the mud, but he would save their you know, boots from getting mud on them, right? And everyone's like, oh, what great behavior. This same guy could be a slaveholder and could mistreat his slaves because it was a blind spot. He could not see it. He was cavalier in one regard, meaning he was a gentleman, and the other regard meant he showed a disregard for another part of humanity. Well, how could you do that? That doesn't make any sense. How could you be so caring about one person over here and so uncaring about someone over here? Well, that's what cavalier actually means now. So cavalier can mean one of the two. And it built into its very definition almost shows a blind spot. Because how in the world could you be a gentleman. How could you be chivalrous and gallant and heroic and a rescuer over here and be harming others over here and not see it? And what slavery was in the institution in the South, it was a blind spot because their entire system needed it. Their entire economic system needed it. And it was just baked into the system that you have to mistreat this people group to sort of survive and to take care of your families. And so I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father. But to be a good husband and a good father, I need to do it on the backs of these slaves. And it became a blind spot to the South. Now, before we cluck our tongues at the South, I want us to recognize that each of us can have a similar blind spot. So instead of just saying, how could they do that? You could also allow the Spirit of God to turn the finger back towards us and say, how could you do it, Eric? You see, there are things that we can very easily do in our life that fall under our radar and that we don't realize that we're doing them. They're blind spots. And that's why a message like this can be important, just to say, Lord, if there's anything in my life that I'm not seeing, I don't want to be the gentleman over here that is abusing my slaves over here. I want to truly be a picture of Christ in every regard thoroughly. So here's David Reynolds in his book uh, called Abe. 
Each side touted what it saw its virtues. So the north touted its virtues and the south touted its virtues while vilifying the other. This is a very similar thing that we do today. The south boasted of its stable institutions, especially slavery, and its traditions of honor, hospitality, and chivalry. Mark Twain had these values in mind when he wrote that the Civil War had co- was caused by the Sir Walter disease, a reference to the South's obsession with Walter Scott's historical novels, which idealized cavalier chivalry. And so Mark Twain is actually going to say, well, it was Sir Walter, the Sir Walter disease that even led to the Civil War because the South is so justifying their rightness and their goodness and their righteousness by the fact that they're chivalrous. And the North isn't chivalrous. Look at how chivalrous we are. To the point where they lost sight of their behavior that was contrary to the kingdom of heaven as well. So listen to these really good qualities. Honor. And I'm a huge fan of honor. I mean, when we originally started Ellerslie, it was called the School of Honor. Then I realized there was another School of Honor somewhere else in the country, so it changed the name. But that was actually, I wanted to rebuild in the church the ideas of honor. And so, hey, I'm a sucker for this too. Honor, hospitality, chivalry, and loyalty. It's like, oh, this is speaking my language. Maybe I have the Sir Walter disease. And so as a result, even as I personally study through this, it's like, wow, that's interesting to see how those things can be present and yet they can also be a cloak and a cover for a debauchery that is far deeper than you could ever imagine. So this is a quote that really impacted my life, and it's a quote by Aslan, uh, and he's looking at Reepicheep. Remember Reepicheep the mouse, and he's that rather huge and sort of disturbingly large mouse, right? And he has his tail cut off, and to a mouse, you know, their tail is their honor. And so for, for Reepicheep, it's a very difficult thing even to step in front of Aslan because he's missing his tail. And Aslan is going to say something to Reepicheep. Is it possible that you think too highly of your honor. And I know you could say, how did that impact you, Eric? It's hard to describe that, but there was a season in my life where my honor was a big, big deal to me. And I would not do certain things because it was an issue of honor. And I will not, it's a good thing. In other words, everything about Eric, even in that time, I would say, that's good. That's good, young Eric. That's, That's really good. However, this statement was important for me to recognize that there are things that are higher than honor. It's sort of like when, when Jesus, well, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, when it's talking about uh, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, want to make sure that you're always emphasizing the things that God emphasizes and not emphasizing something that, in a sense, you want to elevate because you really seem to uh, have a fascination with it, like I do with honor. Honor is very intriguing to me, and I feel like it's lost in our culture, so I have a tendency to want to bring it back. Sort of old-school Christianity, old-school manhood, the kind that you know, basically is going to walk into battle and say, I will die for them. Wonderful things, and I, I think God likes it too. However, sometimes we can overinflate the value of something, and that's where we need Aslan to ask us the question, is it possible that you think too highly of your honor, Eric Ludi? Is it, think, is it possible that you think too highly of your honor, oh, uh, Southern gentry? And is that why you're, you're actually blind in this area? See, when you overemphasize something, even if it's unwitting, it blinds you to other things that maybe are more important. So honor gone wrong. I mean, think about what's happening in this time. Uh, when, honor, when your honor is slighted, 
and it's a wrong sort of honor, okay? Because I would say there's a spirit-born honor that God desires to cultivate in all of us. But there's also a fleshly honor. And when your honor is dismissed, it's sort of like your pride is touched. That's the best way of saying it. It's really, people are getting it mixed up with their pride. And so their honor is slighted. And what do they do? They need to challenge someone to a duel. And now they'll go off to a duel and die for their honor. And so as a result, you had this idea of standing for your honor, but in such a ridiculous way where dueling was a huge issue back in this time. I mean, women would duel with women, men would duel with men, and they would kill each other. And we're like, okay, how is this effective? How is this really a good thing? How does this reveal the kingdom of heaven? It didn't at all. So I'm going to call that honor gone wrong, dueling to save one's honor. Every culture usually has a blind spot. And I don't know if it's even necessary to have the word usually. I think it's probably safe to say every culture has a blind spot. But just because I'm not an expert on cultures and you know, to, to make this type of a statement, I, I, I want to diminish it. So we'll keep the word usually in there, even though I don't know that it's necessary. But if that's true, what is our blind spot? So speaking of North America right now, what is our blind spot? Now, I, I don't know that I'm really qualified to answer that question in a big way, but I'll at least give a starter one because I have a hunch we have quite a few uh, in our culture. I feel like, in fact, blind spots are, is a specialty for us uh, as opposed to something that is a rare thing to find. And so let me just give you one starter package, and then I'm going to call it materialism. The idea of materialism is to be satisfied with things, where if we have things in our life then we feel a certain satisfaction. Without those things, we are uneasy until we get them. And it's a very, very dangerous thing that has crept into our culture because we're a very successful, we are a culture of plenty, and so as a result, we expect to have things. We are not like one of those cultures where it's like if you have just one thing, you know, you cherish it and you care for it because it's your one thing. We, we, we intend to have everything. Even if we are a lower-income family, we still in, we still, we, we're Americans. We expect to have uh, it all. And so the problem with materialism, and listen to how it gets twisted in the American mindset, to have more is a signal of wisdom, prudence, and good judgment. In other words, if you have a lot, that means you have been wise. That means you have lived smart. That means you've had good judgment in your life. That's a twist. You see, it, it might mean that you're selfish, that you're thinking about you, that you're not thinking about the kingdom of heaven, because God actually speaks to this in a very different way. And it's not just that he's saying, hey, collect as much as you can. He's actually saying the opposite. So we may have our justification, but it's a blind spot in our culture. I think all of us have tasted it. Listen to Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So it's saying the exact opposite of materialism. It's like you really want to establish success in your life? Well, what you want to do is let go of things, not hold on to things. And so what we see is the idea of materialism, though it can have this certain vaporous idea or notion of being wise and good and reasonable, it actually is a replacement for something that God is desiring to do in our life, which is to touch everything in our soul and say, can you let that go? As Richard Wormbrandt used to do, and he, he has an article called Preparing for Persecution, 
And it's like, okay, how's a culture supposed to prepare for persecution when they don't have anything, when they're thrown into prison? How can, how can we prepare to live without? Well, we have to start living without right now. And so he would walk through the supermarket, and as he's going through the American supermarket, he would just say, I'm just going to practice, and we're going to go along, and I'm going to say, I don't need that, I don't need that, I don't need that, I don't need that, I don't need that. Instead of the opposite, which is, I really want that, I really want that, I really want that, and I'm not going to be satisfied until I get it. So it's a blind spot that we very easily cultivate in our mindset as North Americans. And I'm just saying, the, the South had its blind spots in the Civil War era, and we could easily have them today. So if that blind spot is going to lead to a war, how about we get our blind spots out on the counter and say, God, could you deal with them now before we have to go and lose 750,000 soldiers uh, because of our stupidity? Southern blind spots. So here's just a few of them. Gluttony, alcoholism, sensuality, and slavery. Now, I have a hunch that our list is probably as grotesque as that one is today. Because, you know, back then, gluttony, it was just part of the Southern way. In fact, it's part of their hospitality is you eat and you eat and you eat. And that's, that's part of the goodness of, you know, hey, God has supplied us with so much. Let's just celebrate and enjoy life. Alcoholism, boy, there was a huge amount of it uh, in the South. And I'm not saying it wasn't in the North as well. But it was a blind spot, which led to violence. It led to abuses. And, but it was under the banner of Christianity. That's what's ironic. It's like, oh, God, you know, he's the one that gave us the fruit of the vine. He doesn't mind us drinking this. And so as a result, it became a blind spot, which led to all sorts of other issues. Sensuality. There was a great deal of it in the South in this time. And so even though so much of the culture was churched, there was a blind spot to living with integrity in your sensual life so that you actually honored the opposite sex, so that you actually cared for them in your thought life. And, and so as a result, we see this breakdown of a culture that even though it's a Christian culture, it could actually have gluttony, alcoholism, sensuality, and slavery in it and not see it. That's what's extra amazing. And is it similar today? I think so. So Matthew 19, 17 through 22. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said, If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What you see Jesus doing is touching on a blind spot. You see, the young man was righteous in his own eyes, and Jesus seemed to recognize that. And then to really hit the nail on the head, he is going to touch the one spot that the man isn't ready to have touched. And as a result, the man is going to walk away sorrowful. He wants, he, he seems to appear to want the kingdom of heaven. He wants to serve Jesus. But when Jesus himself speaks to him very clearly, okay, if you really want to follow me, then do this, he can't do it. Now I'm going to draw a parallel here. And I'm going to, this isn't in the Bible, by the way. This is a 
remake of that Matthew 19 story with the rich young ruler, and I'm going to call it Civil War 19, 17 through 22. And instead of the rich young ruler, I'm going to make him the cavalier, so that he's the southerner, okay? And you're going to notice I'm going to change some things around just to sort of teach the idea of what this is saying. Now behold, a cavalier came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So Jesus said, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall be honorable, hospitable, chivalrous, and loyal. So that's like the commandments of the South right there, right? And the young cavalier said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, set your slaves free, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the cavalier heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, this is something you just could not touch in the South. Because their entire world, their infrastructure hung in the balance because of it. This is how they loved their neighbors by protecting slavery. This is how they cared for their families by protecting slavery. You couldn't touch it. And so even when Jesus speaks straight to it, it's like they go away sorrowful. They have all the virtue. They have their incredible list of uh, honor, hospitality, chivalry, and loyalty. And yet they can't allow this to be touched. Do you have anything like that in your life? where you can list your virtues, but then if the Spirit of God ever gets close to that one area, you cannot allow him to touch it. So I have another illustration here. This is a really good one. Civil, I call this Civil War 1922. Jesus said to him, so he's speaking to the cavalier still, if you want to be perfect, go. Humble yourself before your Puritan countrymen of the north and apologize for your hatred and bitterness towards them and seek to do them good and see them succeed and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the cavalier heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great animosity toward the Puritans in his heart. You see, this is what I want to have touch us. That if Jesus were to say, all right, you really want to live well for me right now in this generation, O Christian. I'm like, yes, I do. And Lord, I'm going to keep my thought life pure. I'm going to you know, vote Republican. I'm going to do these various things for you. He goes, okay. Thank you for that. That's, that's wonderful, Eric. But if you really want to follow me, I want you to love those that hate you. I want you to go and take those liberals by the hand, and I want you to begin to express to them your apologies for how you have spoken about them and how you've handled them and how you've mistreated them. Oh, I can't, oh you can't do that to me, Lord. You see, this is the essence of Christianity. It cannot have these blind spots. We need to be thoroughgoing Christians in every aspect of our life, every element, every twist, every, every angle, every shadow point in our life needs to be touched by the living God. The Good Samaritan. So you guys remember the Good Samaritan? What was he doing? He was breaking through blind spots. So the story, you can read it, Luke 10, 25 through 37. But we have a Jewish man who is beaten up by robbers, and his own are going to pass him by. So you have the priests and the Levite that will walk by and totally ignore him, come up with their justifications of why they can't help him. And then we're going to have the most unsuspecting person stop and help this Jewish man, and that is a Samaritan. Well, they were at odds, and they had animosity towards one another. It was a north-south issue. And yet the Samaritan is going to prove to be the neighbor. He is going to be the one that is marked by love and care. 
And Jesus is purposely going out of his way to share this story, even the way he's going to share it, to indict the Jews in their attitude. This is what the kingdom of heaven does. The kingdom of heaven is the good neighbor. It is the one that is going to care. It is the one who is going to forsake the blind spots to be able to look past these things and say, God, teach me how to love. And if this happens, the culture changes. If this doesn't happen in the church, we're going down the toilet just like they did in the antebellum era. It starts with us as the church. We can't expect those that don't know Christ to be changed, to be convicted, to be altered. But we can be as the church of Jesus Christ. So let's go through the leadership secrets of Lincoln that we've gleaned so far. Number one, draw loving lines, not hard lines. Number two, approach the nasty stuff like a Quaker. The third episode, uh, we learned never, ever send the first draft. The last episode we had was listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. And then today's, number five, bust through the cultural blind spots. You have to do this in your own life. I, I know we all inherit them just by living in a culture. We can be very sensitized to adopting the way a culture thinks, even though we're like, oh, I'm not going to think like our culture. Well, we very easily do. And so we have to purposely have a guard towards that, and we have to bust through these things. We can't just accept these things. We can't just say, I'm just a good Southerner. This is the way I was raised. This is the way I'll always be. You're a Christian first. I don't train my kids to be Americans. I train my kids to be Christians. And so though my children are Americans, and I'm not against the fact that they're Americans, they're not first and foremost Americans. I'm not grooming them to think and reason and live as an American would think and reason and live. I want them to think and reason and live as Christ would live in their body. That's what I desire, them to be Christians. And that's what I desire for all of us. Father, make us Christians. Bust through those cultural blind spots. May we not allow any of them to remain in our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.